Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. I am David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. I'm sitting in for Dan Lobby, who's on vacation this week, uh, rightfully so, well-earned. <laughs> and of course, with us, we have Mary Kay Cabot from Cleveland.com. How's it going, Mary Kay? I'm doing great, Dave. How you doing? I'm, go- I'm good. Um, I'm getting ready to take a week off myself next week, and I know you're just back from Barcelona. I know you had a great time there. Do you have any, uh, any tips for people who ever head to Barcelona? Uh, be careful crossing the street. <laughs> there are scooters and motorcycles flying around everywhere. Um, definitely eat a lot of the tapas. They're amazing. And go and see Montserrat, which is amazing. Uh, there's just so much to see and do in Barcelona. It was, it was a fabulous trip. I hope to go there someday. I'm wanting to take a trip to go see some soccer. So uh, maybe I can try and work a Barca game in there if I can get tickets, but uh, very cool. Yeah. Um, I might be headed to Montreal, I think next week. So I'll see how that is. I don't know, well, French, but my son does. So that'll be good. Yeah. I was just going to say, you better brush up on your French because I was in Montreal <laughs> a little over a year ago and there is a bit of a language barrier there. Uh, the cab drivers and different people, uh, a lot of them do not speak any English. So good luck. I'm going to need it. I'm going to need it. All right, so things are happening pretty fast here. Training camp is starting um, in a couple of weeks. July 26th is the first session that's open to the public. And I did want to put a little bit of a plug in here for the Browns because it's a good cause on July 28th, which is the first Saturday. They're having their annual blood drive that day. Um, and there's practice from 235 to 530 that day. So you might want to mark that on your calendar. Uh, Mary Kate, I know a lot of the players and the media relations people hate training camp because it's just a grind. You're there every day. It, it seems like it never ends. It's hot. People are miserable. Do you like covering it, or do you have any any me- good memories, or do you have, is it just kind of something you have to get through? Well, you know, I, I don't mind it at all. You know, I, I actually kind of look forward to it. By the time we get to this point, I'm looking forward to seeing what the team actually looks like, what they're going to be capable of. So I, I enjoy training camp for the most part. It is way shorter than it used to be. I mean, back in the day, Many, many, many years ago, it used to go on and on and on, and it was two-a-days, and they would be out there in pads uh, quite often, twice a day, and those were the dog days of summer. Now, this is like country club training camp compared to what it was back in the day. But uh, yeah, I do have um, some, I have a lot of memories of training camp, including uh, the people that show up at training camp, I think that's one of the most important and interesting things for you, people to to know about is that you just never really know who's going to 
show up to watch practice. I've seen LeBron James come out to watch practice. Last year, we had Bruce Smith there. Uh, a lot of people show up. Jim Nance has been there uh, recently. He's got family in town. and uh, So there, there are always some interesting guests around. John Bon Jovi came out one year because he was good friends with Bill Belichick. So, uh, yeah. It, oh, um, oh, why am I forgetting uh, her name? Wolfie's mom right now. The hot, the hot in Cleveland. Um, oh, yeah. Know, I'm drawing a blank on her name, too, but I can see her. But yes. from the Hot in Cleveland show. Uh, yes. <laughs> Why am I forgetting her name? But anyways, she she not came Valerie out. Bertinelli, the other one. No, actually, yes, Valerie Bertinelli. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. She came out to training camp a couple of years ago. Uh, so you never know who you're going to see. And then just in terms of things that I remember happening or seeing at, at camp, one of the biggest memories I have was, uh, and it's not a good one, is when LaCharles Bentley, I was standing just feet away from him literally feet away from him when he went down towards ACL and that ended his NFL career on the, uh, basically the first play after the Browns acquired him. So that was uh, one of the more profound memories of training camp. Yeah. And that was especially sad because he was so excited to be coming back home, St. Ignatius kid coming back home to play for the Browns. And then that happened. I, I remember that was just a, a very bad day. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it's a, one thing I like about training camp is, you know, we've seen, I think we've seen this in media too, is that as the years have gone on, access has become harder and harder for media, but for fans too, like it's hard to get close to the players. And I've talked to a lot of people who used to go to training camp when the Browns headed out of Hiram College, and they used to talk about what a great thing it was. You'd go out there, you could hang out with the players. It wasn't, it wasn't like a big crush of people. And I'm really glad that the NFL and has been able to keep that spirit of training camp because there's not many times in sports that you get to be as close to practices and as close to the players as you do during training camp and I'm really glad that they have kind of kept that tradition alive it's a good thing so yeah and I think that the Browns have have tried over the past couple of years to really improve the training camp experience uh, to improve what you see when you come out to camp to kind of know where the uh, team periods are going to be and to give you know, kids especially, an opportunity to get some autographs. So I think it is a really cool thing for fans. And I think 15 practices, I think that's pretty generous. A lot of teams are uh, really reducing that number. And the Browns have maintained that for a while now. And I, and I think it's good because there's a lot of interest in the team this year. Absolutely. And just hope for some not insane weather and everything will be good. So um, all right, so let's get into some football stuff here. There's, um, we're going to talk a little bit about refereeing, and then I've got some over and unders I want to run past you. And then we've, uh, as usual, I know you and Dan usually throw some uh, Hey Mary Kays in here, and we'll end with that. So um, it, it's so – I've read this thing three times, and it, there's a new kickoff rule coming in this year, which apparently will eliminate two-man wedges performed by players lined up in the new three-man return position but it still allows double team blocks by the eight players lined up in the front and blah, de, blah, de, blah. And I, I've read this thing three times. I can't even begin to understand it. Uh, basically the kickoff is, is on its way out probably, but this is kind of a way where they're trying to make it safer. Um, the referees are very concerned about learning all this stuff. And I know they're having a three day camp this week, this new kickoff rule, they have to, apparently pay attention to where the guys are lined up before the ball is kicked. You combine that with four referees retiring this spring, uh, which I think is the most in league history. Ed Hockley is one of the more popular guys. Jeff Triplett's retiring. 
Um, those are two of the probably the better referees in the league. There's this, this turnover and combined with this new complicated kickoff rule, do you have any concern? I, I tweeted when I, when I saw about the referees retiring, we're, gonna, we're looking at like 10-minute replay reviews this season. What do you think is going to be the refereeing situation this season with all this kind of it's, – it's like a perfect storm of, uh, of things going against the refs, it seems like. Well, you're, you're right about that. Uh, there are a lot of confusing things coming up, uh, not the least of which, like you said, is the new kickoff rule which I think one of the best ways that we can delve into that, uh, maybe during camp we can get uh, Josh Cribbs to come on our podcast and talk about that a little bit. And I, I think he'd be great to address that and kind of go over the nuances of the, of the rule with us. And as most of the listeners know, he's actually working with the Browns as a, a special teams assistant coach right now and uh, actually very fun to watch. So that's going to be something that uh, fans can enjoy uh, watching how fired up and excited he gets out there. Uh, but we should talk to him about that. But uh, not only that, it's the lowering the helmet rule that I also think, I mean, there's a lot. There's the new catch rule, the nuances of that. The lowering the helmet rule, I think, is going to be very, very difficult. And like you said, they are doing a three-day camp or seminar to figure some of these things out. But until you actually get out there in a game and these things happen, no one really knows exactly how these things are going to be called yet. And I'm sure it will evolve over the course of the season. And this is probably why the referees are retiring because they can see uh, how confusing all this is going to be. So, um, yeah, I think we've got a, a big, big learning curve coming up here. So the, um, the thing about preseason that always seems to happen is you see flag after flag after flag. There's, you know, it seems like there's a flag on every other play, but then as they get toward the fourth preseason game, things kind of settle down. The players start to figure out what the new rules are. So I, maybe we'll see that happen, but my fear is like we're just going to see a flag on every play between lowering heads and guys lining up around our kickoffs. And every time there's a punt return for a touchdown, you have to look and see if there was a block, you know, a bad block somewhere along. I'm just, I'm worried about the, the league having a flag on every other play. And I, I've often wondered if it would make more sense for them to simplify the rule book and maybe go toward college a little bit and just kind of make things simpler. You don't see this complexity to all the rules in the college game. And I think that's one reason some people like it better. What do you think of that? Well, I think that that's one of the things that they have tried to do with the, with the new catch rule. They have really tried to simplify it and take some of the confusing language out there, out of there and, and make it so that, uh, more people know exactly what constitutes a catch. So I think there is an effort in that regard. And then the other things, the lowering the helmet and, and the kickoff rule, those are designed to eliminate all of the concussions in the game. So uh, regardless of the impact that, you know, that it has on whether or not it's confusing, I think these are efforts to make sure that the players are staying safe. And so I think they're trying to find the balance. But like you said, you don't want to flag on every other play. And the league certainly doesn't want to flag on every other play because they're trying to shorten games a little bit. And they want to make games, uh, you know, they want the fan experience to be good. And nobody's going to be happy with an increased number of flags. So I think there will be an effort to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the running backs adjust. I, I know they're always taught when they're, you know, going to be getting contact to lower their shoulders and either not put the crown of their head uh, forward, but just to lower their head and get compact and make themselves small. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes as the season goes on. So, um, all right, you want to do some over and unders on the Brown season coming up? These are always kind of interesting to do during the summertime. 
Sure, let's have Adam. All right, so the number is two, and is it going to be more or less the number of players who will start at left tackle for the Browns this season? Well, that's a great one, and actually, uh, I think I'm going to go with three. I think it will take three people in this first year to fill the enormous shoes left behind by Joe Thomas, who obviously never missed a game or even a snap in his career. Uh, so I'm going to say three because I think in part that they might have to mix it up early on in the season. I mean, they might start with someone and then decide that it's not working as well as they thought it was and therefore try someone else. And then you have to fact factor in the possibility of injury over there. So I'm going to say three on that one. Okay, and you think Sean Coleman will be the first one probably, right? He's got the lead right now. You, would you say that? He, he's in the lead right now, but they are making efforts to, um, you know, to have a plan B, plan C, and that's why they signed Greg Robinson. That's why they have uh, possibly Joel, Batone waiting, Joel Batonio waiting in the wings. That's why Austin Corbett takes some, some snaps over there, and then you know, you've got Chris Hubbard. So there are a lot of, of possibilities if Sean doesn't work out. Okay, let's move on to the next one. How about number the numbers four over or under the number of starts Baker Mayfield will make in 2018? Oh, that's another good one. Um, you know what? <laughs> that, that's, that's a tough one. Okay, hard to predict because we never know if Tyrod's going to stay healthy or not. But um, I am going to say under. I would, I'm going to say that he will start three games this year. Interesting. Um, and so you're seeing a healthy season for Tarad and some good play out of him. So, all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you never know because, you know, he, you know, he did have a concussion last year and, and those are always so unpredictable when you have one, uh, you're more susceptible the next time around. So that could be the little X factor here. Uh, but yeah, as long as he stays healthy, I'm going to say Baker, maybe towards the end of the season. All right, so this next one, we're not going to hold you to it because training camp hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen any preseason games. But at this point, there's a positive vibe from what we've seen in minicamp and OTAs. Five and a half, the number of games the Browns will win this season, over or under five and a half? Wow, I'm going to go over on this. There's been so much turnover on this team, and I see some uh, positions on this football team where uh, they look actually pretty good in certain spots to me, including things like, running back, receiver, if Josh Gordon can stay on the field and Antonio Callaway can come around. Uh, there are some places where they look decent. Quarterback should be better this year, and they've upgraded the defense in some spots. So um, when I look back to last year, in, in my mind, so much of the fact that they went 0-16 can be traced to their turnover differential of, I think it was negative 28, which uh, was by far by far the worst in the NFL. If you win the turnover battle, you can win the football game. Most of the time you do. I think it's around 80%. So if they just fix that one area of their game and do nothing else, they should win some football games. So I'm going to say six, but in a, in a perfect world, if things go really, really well, they can win one or two more than that. All right. Like I said, we're not going to hold you, hold you that prediction. We'll, we'll ask you for another one before the season starts. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of the uh, football analytics sites say that the Browns should have won two or three games last year. So I, I think you're, you're probably on the right track there. There was some better quarterback play and knocking the turnovers down. They can, they can raise that number. So 
All right, here's an interesting one. 12.5, the number of sacks for Miles Garrett in 2018. And I chose that number because that's what Joey Bosa had last season. And if Miles Garrett has a healthy season, 12.5 over or under, what do you see for him? You know, I'm going to say under on that because for some reason I just keep having like the number 11 or 12 in my mind for him for this year. Uh, I think that um, now he obviously is aiming for much higher than that. I'm sure that he wants to have at least one sack a game, but I think it would be improvement for him if he could end up with 11 or 12, get into double digits. I think that would be a good season for him, and that's kind of where I see him. All right, I guess a lot of it depends on uh, how healthy Emmanuel Ogba is, too, in terms of how much attention they have to pay to Miles Garrett and, and who's on the other side is a, is a big part of that. So, um, okay, yes. here's, sorry about that. Do you want to add to that or we should move on? No, no, I was going to say, you know, if they both stay healthy and things go as well as they plan there, uh, and we, we wrote about this, I wrote about this in my defensive ends preview, I think they could both have double-digit sacks this year. So, I'm sure Greg Williams would love that, and so would those guys. Oh, yeah. All right, so here's another number, 74 over or under. The number of catches for Duke Johnson in 2018, he had 74 catches last year. You see more than 74 or less than 74 for him this season? I'm going to say under. I think that uh, there are so many other places to go with the football this year uh, on the receiving core, more running backs, better tight end play, that I don't think they're going to go to him as much as they did before. I mean, where would Jarvis Landry get all his, his catches if Duke Johnson is catching the ball 74 times? So I do think uh, that that's going to be under, but he'll, he'll still get his touches. I just don't see 74 receptions for him. All right, and this question may, may have a similar answer. I'm curious to see what you say. 987 over or under the number of receiving yards for Jarvis Landry in 2018. That's what he had last season before coming to Cleveland, is it a situation where you see him getting more than that or less than that because of the, uh, you know, the Browns receiving core is much improved over last season. Like you were saying with Duke, there's more places to spread the ball around. What do you think? Well, I think it's time for him to have uh, another 1,000-yard season. So I'm going to say over on that. I think they will go to him early and often. Now, he doesn't have a, uh, a really high per catch average. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see how that works out and, and how they are using him. But I think with some good consistent play from Tyrod Taylor, that he could pretty easily go over 1000 yards. Very interesting stuff. All right. Um, we got some Hey Mary Kay questions. You want to uh, get into those? Sure. <laughs> All right. The first one Oh, this goes to the video that we shot the other day when, uh, when Dan was off, the Hey Mary Kay video we shot. And you were, before we went on camera, you noticed you had uh, the holy jeans, which is like a cool thing now, right? Um, <laughs> Jim, yep. Jim Silversack of Cold Spring, Kentucky wrote in and said, why does a mature professional woman wear slacks with holes in them to work? <laughs> well, you know what? To be honest with you, first of all, I kind of forgot that, that my pants, slacks, jeans, or whatever would show on camera. I was thinking that we were taping from the waist up. So that's the, that's the first thing. I kind of forgot about it. And then number two is I still try to stay hip and cool after all these years. Um, and I try to dress, you know, and express myself the way that I want to, which is sort of, you know, trendy or whatever. And we all know that all those ripped jeans are in right now. So I'm just trying to be on trend. And uh, he mentioned the word mature, 
And I would beg to differ with him on that. Now, he was probably talking more of an age type of thing, but I'm really not mature. So, <laughs> I, um, so I'm going to just wear all the ripped jeans that I want to. Sorry about that, Jim. Um, I'm all for it. Whatever, whatever makes you comfortable is what you need, what you should wear. I've been wearing the same thing I work for 30 years, and uh, it's probably a bad thing, but whatever. Whatever you, whatever you feel good in, that's what it's all about. So, Dave, I think, Dave <laughs> I think next time we do this, if you do this with me again, I really think that you should try the ripped jeans look. I mean, a lot of the Browns players are wearing them. It's really, you know, a guy thing, too. So I think you should try them. All right. I might have to try that. Um, all right, this, <laughs> one, this one is from Joshua Bush. He's from Huntington Beach, California. The Browns community is worldwide. It's amazing. Hey, Mary Kay, there seems to be a lot of real excitement around the Browns this offseason. Dorsey and the gang have addressed a lot of glaring holes on both sides of the ball. At what point during the upcoming season do you foresee the Browns actually finding out how good this team is? Week one versus the Steelers? Week eight versus the Steelers? Week 17 versus the Ravens? Thanks. Well, you know what? I, I often think that you really don't know everything about a football team until you get into the second half of the season. How often have we seen teams start, you know, six and one, and then they fizzle out in the second half of the season. The time that you need to be at your best for the most part is in the second half when you're coming down the stretch and you have to play well to stay in a playoff hunt or to get in a playoff hunt or whatever the case may be. And in the case of the Cleveland Browns this season, uh, they are learning a whole new offense, a whole new terminology. There are a lot of different players on this football team. I haven't counted up uh, the amount of new starters yet, but it is significant on both sides of the ball, especially in, on defense, the secondary, and whatnot. But you've got uh, a completely overhauled offense with a new scheme and new verbiage and all that. So I think it will take a little while for them to get it together. Not only that, they're starting out against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then at the New Orleans Saints, and that that's going to be tough. That's a tough way to start your football season. So I don't think that we are going to know if this team is on the right track and headed in the right direction until the second half of the season. So I'll say somewhere around the midpoint, we'll start to have an idea. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that because uh, no, it seems like November is the month when you really start to learn what's up. I, before I came to Cleveland, I covered the Chicago Bears uh, for a few seasons when Dave Wanstead was the coach, and they would always start out 6-2 and two or you know, something like that, and then November they would always just fall apart, and that's when you would see who the real, the real teams were. So uh, very true. Um, all right, this is from Nick Hensley from Newton, Kansas. I'm curious to watch this year's offense compared to last year's, and I'm willing to bet it's going to be better. That being said, if Jimmy Haslam decides to fire Hugh, could you see Todd Haley getting his second chance at being a head coach? Would you be for or against that? You don't have to answer that last part, but do you, do you see Todd Haley as someone, um, you know, a lot of times in the NBA you see a, an assistant coach get elevated when something happens. You, do you see Todd Haley as being someone who would get a second chance? Well, I, I suppose that if they did make some kind of a move during the season, that both coordinators would be candidates uh, to to step in there on an interim basis. And I'm talking about, of course, Greg Williams and Todd Haley. And because Greg has been around uh, for a couple of years, you know, maybe they would even opt for him. But both of those guys have head coaching experience and would be able to take over the reins uh, in the event this happens. But I just find it so interesting that uh, that fans really are still fixated on this whole fire Hugh thing. And I think I'm coming more from the camp of, hey, let's see what Hugh Jackson can do. 
with a better football team. I mean, that's how I'm heading into this season. And it just seems like there's so many fans that are still just, uh, just so stuck on one in 31 and everything being his fault. And I don't know, it just seems like there are a lot of people that aren't willing uh, to give him a chance to see what he can do when he finally has a quarterback. Think about this. They went into the last season with not one quarterback on the roster who had ever won a football game and two as a starter in the NFL and two that had never even started one. So, you know, I don't know. It's just, um, it's time to to see what what Hugh can do with, with a better roster. Yeah, along that same vein, you're, I'm seeing a lot of prediction posts going up, and a lot of people are pegging the Browns to finish based on the last two seasons. And I don't think they get, like you're saying, that this is this is like a brand new team. I mean, there, there's been so much roster turnover and so much roster improvement. Like this is not the 0-16 team from a year ago. It's a completely different group of guys. Um, well, I think that I think people will see that pretty early. It might not show up in the record, but you can't you can't base what the team's going to do this year on what happened last year because it's, it's like a different world. It really is. Right. right. And keep in mind, and I think this is huge, and we, I mentioned this in an, in an earlier part of this podcast, so much has to do with the turnover differential. You can have good talent on your football team, but if you're throwing interception after interception, especially in the red zone, and, you, and you've got the game on the line, and you're throwing interceptions, you're not going to win the football game. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't mean that you don't have some good football players on your team, such as Miles Garrett and Jamie Collins and people like that. But if you're not taking the ball away and you're giving it away all the time, you're not going to win. So I think, uh, you know, some people think the talent was better last year than the 0-16 record, and I agree with that. There, there is there, and was some talent on the team, but they couldn't stop turning the ball over. Yep. All right, Brian Davis from Florence, Kentucky. With the Browns having a three-headed backfield with Hyde, Chubb, and Duke Johnson, who do we see earning the starting nod at running back? I think that with Todd Haley as the offensive coordinator, Duke Johnson could turn into a star at running back, kind of like Pittsburgh with Bell. Is it possible, or will we see more of a running back by committee approach? Well, I think this is one of those things where they're not going to know exactly Uh, how it's going to play out until they get into a few games and they see who has the hot hand and they see what they like and they see how these guys work together. Nick Chubb, Carlos Hyde, Duke Johnson, they've never worked together before on a football field. It's all new, uh, and there are so many different ways that you can mix and match those guys. Who knows? There are times maybe all three of them could be on the football field at the same time if you're using Duke uh, in the slot or splitting them out wide or, or whatever the case may be. So, I think part of it will be we have heard uh, the running backs coach say they'll go with the hot hand. Well, we don't know who that is yet. Um, And, you know, I don't think that necessarily in your first season with a a new group that you know how they're going to respond when the lights come on and you're in the heat of the moment. So Todd Haley still has to learn these guys and figure out what they do best and and how they perform in certain situations. And it's going to take at least probably the first quarter of the season, maybe even a little bit more to figure out how they like it. Yeah. And that's even something that they adjust from game to game based on somebody who's having a good day. They'll, they'll give more plays. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, All right. We got two left here. This one's from Spencer Bright, who's from Fairfield, Iowa. He says, Hey, Mary Kay, I've asked this question before, but I've yet to receive an answer. Last year, the Browns got killed by opposing tight ends they couldn't cover. What is the plan this year to improve improve this glaring defect? Well, first of all, you know, I think Jamie Collins is is a good 
linebacker, you know, to cover tight ends at times. And he was injured a lot last year. So he really uh, wasn't able to play that role for them. So if he's back healthy this whole entire season, uh, just by virtue of that, I think they'll be better. Uh, and I think that they'll work hard with Chris Kirksey uh, to get better, better in that regard. And then now you've got Michael Kendricks. And I think Michael Kendricks is going to see significant playing time on this team. Where? I'm not sure yet, uh, but I think he's somebody that will make an impact, and that's probably uh, one of the ways he can do it. Yeah, one other thing that might be I wanted to get your thoughts on is that it, last year they were so worried about giving up the big play that with Peppers playing 25 yards off the ball, that, that just by formation leaves a giant hole in the middle of the field a lot of the time, and I think Greg Williams has talked this year about trying to get Peppers more up into the mix uh, you know, not only against the run, but also maybe to stop those intermediate passes in the middle of the field. So, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that whole secondary, I think, is going to be uh, something to really watch, especially in the early part of the season, because there are so many different players back there now, and there are so many different guys that can play two or three different positions. And so, the truth is, we don't really know for sure who the corner starting cornerbacks, both of them are yet, who the starting safeties are yet and how it will look in sub-defenses. So definitely something to, to watch as we go along. All right, and here's the last one. It's from Canada Fan. Uh, he's from Lakeside, Ontario. He says, hey, Mary Kay, I haven't heard anything lately about rookie contract negotiations. Who is still left to sign, and what are the holdups? Well, it's the first um, two first picks. It's, it's Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward. And generally what happens is um, – you know, it's it's all about the offset language in the contract, and it's really the only sticking point anymore with these rookie contracts. It, they will get done, but it usually, you know, comes down to right before camp when, you know, when there's a little bit of leverage or a little bit of pressure to get it done. Uh, and basically, that's what it's all about. It's the offset language where uh, it says if you end up going to another team, uh, you would kind of get to double dip and you would still get all your guaranteed money from your existing team, even though you're going to be signing a contract with a new team. And we see that every year, the offset is always one of the sticking points for people. So, um, all right, that's it for Hey Mary Kay's. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to ask you, I was reading our Brown's newsletter, which people can sign up for by going to cleveland.com slash newsletters. And I saw that today is Frank Ryan's birthday. Frank Ryan is 82. Of course, some of you who are younger might not know Frank, uh, as well as some of the fans who've been around a while. Frank uh, Ryan quarterback, the Browns from, I think, 1962 to 68. And of course, he was the quarterback of the 1964 championship team when the Browns beat the uh, Colts 27, nothing that Colts team had Johnny Unitas and a bunch of Hall of Famers on it. Um, I, th I think I talked to Frank Ryan one time on the phone when he called. Did you ever get a chance to meet him anytime or talk to him at all, ever interview him or anything? You know, not, not a lot. I was, so, I was so afraid of you, that you were going to ask me if I was at that game. <laughs> I was not at that game, David. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, I have not really spent a lot of time with him. I think I have met him briefly over the years, but I've, I've never gotten a chance to interview him the way that I have some of, some of the other old timers. And, um, and I, I would like to actually get that chance. I think that would be fascinating. He used to call work uh, at the plane dealer sometimes wanting to talk to Bob Dolgan. And I got a chance to talk to him for five minutes at a shop, but uh, just a real nice, real nice man. And uh, yeah, 82 years old today. So there you go. 
Um, right, so I mentioned the newsletters, cleveland.com slash newsletters, if you want to get our morning updates. Uh, oh, and I wanted to give a plug to our, our new talk show, Cleveland Sports Tonight, with uh, Doug LaMaurice, uh, our columnist, who is the host. It's a real, like a real talk show. We have a couch and a band. Uh, we make jokes about the Browns, Indians, Cavs. We have guests on. Our, our guest, uh, one of our guests for the first show was uh, Brad Grant, the VP of the Indians, who has overseen their draft for years. So go check that out. I think it's on the various sports pages. But if you go to cleveland.com Browns, you can see that. Um, I think that's all I got. You got anything else you want to talk up or talk about or bring up, Mary Kay? We good uh, no, I just think that um, in addition to that talk show, which I think is a great idea, Doug is always coming up with really new and innovative and exciting things and always trying to push the envelope. And I just really admire him for that. And we're going to be trying to do some different things in training camp as well. So uh, just stay locked in for all that we have coming for you. Sounds good. It'll be here before we know it. Um, hey, thanks to everybody for writing in questions. If you want to uh, write in Hey Mary, hey Mary Kay's, you can get her on Twitter. at It's at Mary Kay Cabot. And also, if you go to cleveland.com slash browns and go down the right rail, there is a, uh, a link there. You can click to send an email in if you'd rather do it that way. But thanks for all the great questions. We, uh, I'll be turning this back to the pros next week when Dan is back in town. Uh, thanks, Mary Kay. Thanks, everybody. And we'll catch you next time on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast.